Citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have friends who might want to watch the show, call them, tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They can go to the TV shows. It says Watch Show Live. Click on it, and streaming video should start up. You can watch it anywhere in the world. Uh, the beard, just to get this out of the way, tons of things. Why the beard? It's long, it's ugly, and uh, it is symbolic of church history which we are covering this year. It will grow until December 31st, and then I'll lose it, cutting it off the way church history should be cut off from the institution we speak of. Okay, so in-house guest tonight, we have Amanda, Sean O's fiance, uh, favorites, Callie and Russell, Wendy, Audrey, Russ, Jace, Meredith, Mark, and Josh, a fine-looking group here. It's easy to do a television show with such good looks behind the cameras. So, also some shout-outs tonight. We have Jennifer at Denny's, Claudia and Tish from Denny's, and uh, the kind lady at the airport on Sunday. I can't remember your name, but thank you for hugging me. And uh, the cool guy on the escalator at Gateway, Doreen, a shout-out to you. Lauren G., muchas gracias, mi amigo, from Idaho. Dale and Jerry, Leon and Barbara, Perry W. and Paula and Diana. Great to meet you all at Squatters last week. Andy's Christian Movie Reviews. You can get these movie reviews on our website at www.bornagainmormon.com. And this, uh, Andy gives you good Christian films that are uh, good for families. And you can go to Rocky Balboa is the name of his, uh, of his uh, pick for this week. And Andy is an actor and a very good friend of mine, and he is uh, the salt of the earth, so I trust his movie reviews. Heart in the Park 2007, make sure you schedule July 8th to uh, come to the park, Sugar House Park. We'll have it on the website. We'll continue to make announcements, but if you're planning your summer vacation, try to be here for Heart in the Park because we would love to see you there, and it'll be a great time for all. Pastor in the Pub tonight, Squatter's Pub on 3rd South in downtown Salt Lake City. We're there from about 9.30 till about 11 or 11.30. You can come and go as you please. We do a meet and greet and just talk about the things that uh, the show talks about. Love to see you there. And uh, let's see, prayer, oh, I don't have that here. Let's see, Provo emails. I gotta read some of these because they are stockpiling and it just isn't fair, so let me go to them. From uh, Spencer, he asks, I want to start a Bible study uh, with the New Testament. What version of the Bible should I use besides the LDS 
uh, version of the King James. And I love the King James version. My Bible's a Thompson Chain uh, King James reference. But uh, NIV, New King James, any of those are good. New, I mean, American Standard are good. But I love the Pilgrim's Edition of the King James Version. Um, it's a Bible for beginners, but it's written by, uh, there's commentary in it from some of the great Bible scholars and commentaries. And I read that uh, for three years after I became a Christian, and it really helped me. The problem with it is it's tough to find. You can get it uh, uh, online by searching for it, the Pilgrim's Edition of the King James Bible. And it also tends to be a little pricey, like 50 bucks, but it's worth it. Uh, from an inquiring mind who wants to know, should I seek rebaptism? Uh, if I join another church and uh, shouldn't we be taking communion or the sacrament at the Christian churches? He says that as he visits Christian churches, many of them don't take a weekly communion, something that he enjoys. The reason and purpose for baptism is an outward indication of an inward faith and in that when you are ready to accept Christ as he is described in the Bible, baptism is necessary. When you're eight years old in the LDS church, you're joining a church with that baptism. Yes, you are being buried with Christ according to their doctrines, but you're also joining a church. I would say I'm joining the body of Christ and be rebaptized. And as far as uh, different churches do communion in different ways, some are weekly, some are monthly, some are twice a year. I love to take it too. The church I go to does it every month, uh, twice a week uh, during that month. So it's whatever you can find that you uh, feel it most suits you. So there's the answers to those. Uh, could you please tell me how I could have my name removed? If we get any emails on a uh, consistent basis with questions, it's this one. How do I get my name removed from the records of the church? Well, we had a call about that a few weeks ago, and Kimberly, a Christian, says uh, a letter simply has to be written with something that says, due to irreconcilable differences and so forth, I wish to have my name taken off the records of the church. A copy needs to be sent to the stake president or bishop and to the LDS membership offices downtown Salt Lake City. If a person doesn't know who their stake president or bishop is, they can just send it to the Salt Lake City membership office. Actually, um, they will try any way they can to keep you in once you've sent it, but just keep saying that they want to have their name removed. Do not feel guilty by the letters they send back. And ultimately, they will send you a letter that says, it's been done, your name is off the record of the church. This person uh, comments that the girl who wondered about her temple marriage being dissolved, she says here that if you have your name uh, removed from the records of your church, uh, that the temple uh, ceremony is done. I'm not sure that's correct. I think that the Mormons believe that the temple ceiling continues on and on. Uh, Alice asks, in the Eastern Orthodox religion, we believe in the Bible, but also tradition. What does Sean think about tradition? I think traditions are great. I think that's the way children find uh, stability and safety in their life. But I think if tradition takes the place of a relationship, then it's dangerous in religion. So uh, there are some people who need a lot of ritual and tradition in their religious outlook. And so that's fine for them as long as their relationship with the Lord is uh, numero uno. But I'm doing a lot of Spanish phrases tonight. And yet, if, um, if tradition is, uh, overcomes you and that becomes what your relationship is to God, it can be very dangerous. So that's my opinion on tradition. Um, this person talks about being LDS, knowing that he is saved, that he has been born again, that he has very similar experiences and spiritual experience with Jesus Christ, and he knows he lives and he knows that spiritual rebirth is taught often in the LDS church. 
I would uh, praise God for this about his personal life, and I believe that there are Latter-day Saints who are born again, but I do not believe for a second that it's taught often in the LDS Church, unless in his specific ward, the bishop happens to be behind that, and they, they focus on that more than else. We also had uh, several uh, comments from people talking about seminary in the state of Utah for Christians. I understand at Bonneville High School in Washington Terrace, they have a seminary program for Christians there, and uh, you might want to check that, call them and talk to the person in charge. And I know that uh, Mormons in Transition also talks about that. So uh, someone uh, gave us that information. And also um, that Weber School District has a program for a seminary in the uh, state. You know what? I'm going to do something. My friend Greg Johnson, who has a ministry called Standing Together Ministries, uh, I haven't talked to him about this, but he's a great guy and he loves to unite churches. I would challenge Standing Together Ministries to take this cause up and unite the churches in the state of Utah to come up with a curriculum uh, for the teenagers in high school to have a timeout period like the LDS have to have seminary. So Greg Johnson of Standing Together Ministries, if you're watching tonight, uh, I challenge Standing Together Ministries to unite the churches to do that in this state. Come up with a curriculum and institute a program and uh, very good. And finally, we have Joseph among several emails, but Joseph says, I have come to know the Lord, exclamation point. Joseph was LDS, and he uh, rejoices in this email, and so with him, we uh, praise God, and we go to prayer before we start in on our message. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about you and uh, relationship to Mormonism tonight. And be with our viewers and our audience and our operators uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. A special thanks to Russell B. Um, for this quote from President Gordon B. Hinckley. It comes from the Four Cornerstones of Faith, the first presidency message in the Ensign Magazine, February 2004, page 6. Listen very carefully to this statement. It is amazing. Speaking of the Book of Mormon, Gordon B. Hinckley said, The evidence for its truth and for its validity in a world that is prone to demand evidence lies not in archaeology or anthropology, though these may be helpful to some. It lies not in word research or historical analysis, though these may be confirmatory. The evidence for its truth and validity lies within the covers of the book itself. The test of its truth lies in reading it. It is a book of God. Reasonable people may sincerely question its origin, but those who have read it prayerfully have come to know by a power beyond their natural senses that it is true, that it contains the word of God, and that it outlines saving truths of the everlasting gospel, gospel that it came forth by the gift and power of God to the convincing of the Jews and Gentiles that Jesus is the Christ. Let's examine this quote for a minute because I believe the LDS prophet is greasing the tracks for the Book of Mormon to ultimately be accepted on different grounds than it is today. Rest assured, if Mormonism had any physical proofs of the Book of Mormon, you would see that everywhere in the world. You'd see it on billboards. You'd hear them talking about it, if they had any. But because they don't have any, the prophet gives statements like this, okay? This is a very treacherous realm 
to say that the knowing the book is true comes by a power that goes beyond our senses. Now, let me explain what I mean. I predict, I don't prophesy like some of you will claim I'm doing, I predict though that Mormonism will in time through statements like this begin to sort of smirk at the idea that the, goal, that the Book of Mormon came from golden plates. There will come a time when the members of the LDS Church will not believe that the Book of Mormon came from golden plates. And they'll smirk at that idea just like they smirk at the idea that you have to practice polygamy to become a god or that blacks can't hold the priesthood or that the Adam-God doctrine, all those things Mormons have put behind them and kind of smirk at. I believe they're preparing people because of the lack of evidence to do that with the Book of Mormon today. Okay, listen again to what he is saying here. The evidence for its truth, for its validity, in a world that is prone to demand evidence lies not in archaeology or anthropology, though these may be helpful to some. First of all, there are no archaeological evidences uh, or anthrop anthropological evidences that support the Book of Mormon. So when he says, though they may be helpful to some, it's a red herring because there are none that can be helpful to some. Then he goes on and he says, it lies not in word research or historical analysis, though these may be confirmatory. Again, there is no uh, word research or historical analysis that confirms the Book of Mormon. So this is another non-event for him to say. And then he continues, the evidence for its truth and validity lies within the covers of the book itself. The test of its truth lies in the reading. This is very important premise being made here it, because it goes against how God works. And let me explain. God deals in reality with us. He knows how we are created as human beings and he does not conjure up mystical religion out of nothing. He didn't have the Bible fall out of the sky and land in the desert, have someone find it and then go and reprint it and distribute it for all of us to believe. He didn't have the Bible's uh, occurrences take place in a, on a different planet. He had them happen here. And when we read the Bible, we can go and we can search out and we can walk through Jerusalem. We can see the Jewish people. We can see the children of Israel and we can verify so many things. Why? Because God knows that those evidences are important to human beings. And remember what Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence the evidence of things not seen. God does not want you to believe in something in a vacuum. There's a second great reason that God does this for us. If the Bible came down from nowhere and landed in the desert or from another planet, it would open up for anybody to come up with their own book and say it's just as valid. Anybody else could say, this book I have came from, this, from, from Pluto. And I know that it's true. I know there's people. You could come up with any book. You could sit in a cave, Muhammad did, and come up with the Quran. You could, you could be Joseph Smith and say that you had revelation for this. So God, he gives us the word and he gives it as evidence of things not seen. That's how he works. He doesn't work in a vacuum. And what, what Gordon B. Hinckley is, is saying here is that you should believe in a vacuum. Okay? Um, God gave us living, breathing people. Abraham had progeny. Jerusalem still is a city, the city of David, the city of peace. Jesus was a man who died and was crucified. Josephus even speaks of Jesus. He was a historical figure. Gordon B. Uh, Hinckley, though, he says that uh, we shouldn't rely on these evidences. 
of things not seen. In other words, what he's saying is we should use things not seen as evidence. That's absolutely the opposite of how you discern truth in the Bible, okay? Then he says, quote, it is a book of God. Now, this may not seem like much to you to hear that Gordon B. Hinckley says it is a book of God, but it's very, very important, especially in the language of men who are very careful on how they phrase their words. There's a big difference between saying the Book of Mormon is a book of God and the Book of Mormon is from God, okay? He doesn't say it's from God. He said it is a book of God. There's a big difference. And you can take that in, in a number of ways, but if you really look at what he's saying, uh, I think he's giving you a clue of what they're starting to try to leak out into the uh, public about what the Book of Mormon is about, all right? Let's read what he ended with again. Reasonable people may sincerely question its origin, but those who have read it prayerfully have come to know by a power beyond their natural senses that it is true. In the, in the end, I believe the following is occurring is going to continue to occur within Mormonism. Slowly and carefully, you will begin to read more ambiguous statements from the brethren regarding the origins of the Book of Mormon. Pictures and stories about golden plates are going to slowly disappear from what Mormons believe the Book of Mormon came from. And uh, you will hear LDS leaders like Gordon B. Hinckley more and more say that it contains the Word of God and it outlines saving truths as public resistance and scholarly evidence against it continue. Also buried in this written statement from Gordon B. Hinckley is a little thing I call Mormon innuendo. Recall that the prophet said the evidence for the Book of Mormon's truth for its validity lies not in archaeological or anthropological, lies not in word research or historical analysis, but the test of its truth lies in reading it. And those who have read it prayerfully have come to know by a power beyond their natural senses this is true. It's sort of a wink, wink, you know it's true. You know it's true. I can't tell you, I get at least 25 emails a week from a Latter-day Saint that say to me, you know it's true, you know it, what's wrong with you? You can always come back, but you know it's true. This is a Mormon innuendo and it's based on this uh, things not seen evidence, all right? Remember, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Gordon B. Hinckley says, a power beyond our natural senses. While this may be the way Joseph Smith established the LDS Church and Mormonism continues to operate that way today, Joseph established it this way and Mormonism continues to op operate this way, God does not operate this way. Now, I give you all this preface of this statement because tonight we're going to talk about, and, and, and for the next 10 minutes, about the witnesses to the Book of Mormon. And when Joseph completed it, he said he allowed two gathering of witnesses to see the plates. The first gathering were three men, and the next gathering were eight men. The first gathering was Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. The gathering of eight witnesses were Christian Whitmer, Jacob Whitmer, Peter Whitmer, John Whitmer, Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, Samuel Smith, and Hiram Page. All of them male. All 11 witnesses either came from the Smith family or were related to each other by marriage, except for Martin Harris. He's the only one who was not related somehow by marriage or a Smith, okay? All believed, interestingly enough, in a mystical and magical second sight. They believed they could see things without seeing them. 
that they had the spiritual eye which they could discern things, a power beyond their natural senses. Regarding the three witnesses, Martin Harris was described as a visionary fanatic, a man who pretended to think, see things. Lorenzo Saunders, a friend of Martin Harris, said, quote, Martin was a good citizen, a man who would do just as he would agree with you, but he was a great man for seeing spooks. One thing he saw was a second sight of the golden plates before Joseph Smith ever showed him those plates. Martin saw them. According to Dan Vogel's Early Mormon Documents, and it's an outstanding book, Dan Vogel's Early, Early Mormon Documents, Martin Harris said prior to supposedly witnessing the plates that Joseph showed him, quote, I saw the plates just as distinctly as I see anything around me, though at the time they were covered over with a cloth. Martin Harris, he saw the plates without seeing the plates before they were supposedly shown him as a witness. Second witness, Oliver Cowdery, of the three witnesses, was a visionary and was learned in the art of divining from his father in Vermont. Remember, Oliver was Joseph's cousin. According to Dean C. Jesse, LDS editor of the Papers of Joseph Smith, Oliver also claims to have seen the plates in vision before he ever met Joseph Smith with a power that was beyond his natural senses. Third, uh, David Whitmer, the third of the three witnesses, claims to have seen the plates being carried by the angel Moroni in a knapsack, and he saw him carrying them, and he turned and asked the question, looked back, and he disappeared. So, all three of the first witnesses um, were mystical and magical in their worldview, were personally invested in one way or another in the Book of Mormon, and all had seen the plates with the second vision prior to Joseph ever showing them the plates. But this is not all. The very language of the three witness testimony, which is neither dated, doesn't give a location or event, doesn't tell us who the author was, but we're sure it was Joseph, speaks in the language of Mormon innuendo. So let me read part of this, the important part. The testimony of the three witnesses, this is included in most of the Book of Mormon uh, copies. Be it known unto all nations, kindred tongues, and people unto whom this work shall come, that we, through the grace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, have seen the plates, which contain this record, a record of the people of Nephi and also the Lamanites, and he goes on to sell what it is, and they say, and we know that this is true. And we also testify that we have seen the engravings which are upon the plates, and they have been shown unto us by the power of God and not of man. And we declare with words of soberness that an angel of God came down from heaven and he brought and laid before our eyes that we beheld and saw the plates and the engravings thereon. So we have that ambiguity. We have that Mormon innuendo that we saw the plates, but it says, but not by man. Okay, that's in the, the testimony of the three witnesses. Okay. Perhaps the most revealing aspect of the three witnesses signed testimony is what they later said about their observances. Martin Harris later admitted, quote, I never saw the golden plates only in a visionary or entranced state. When asked by someone if he had really saw the plates, he said, quote, I did not see them as I see that pencil case, yet I saw them with the eye of faith. David Whitmer spoke with a little bit more innuendo when describing his witness. In 1885, a young LDS attorney sat down with David Whitmer for two and a half hours and questioned him. And when he was done, the attorney was a little bit disappointed and said, quote, I was somewhat, he was somewhat spiritual in his explanations. He was not as materialistic in his description as I had wished. 
Zanus Gurley, an RLDS apostle, asked Whitmer if witnesses actually touched the real metal, and Whitmer said, we did not. The testimony of the three witnesses says, we saw and held the plates. I suggest to you ever so strongly that this holding of the plates was with spiritual eyes, just like every other claim the Book of Mormon gives. The testimony of the eight witnesses seems to be more material in nature. Let me give you the highlights of that. I'm not editing out anything important. It says, Be it known unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, unto whom the work shall come, that Joseph Smith, Jr., the author and proprietor of this work, has shown unto us the plates of which have been spoken, which have the appearance of gold, and many of the leaves of the said Smith has translated. We did handle with our hands, and we also saw the gravings thereon, all of which has the appearance of ancient work and curious uh, workmanship. They go on to say that the said smith showed it to them and that they saw and hefted the plates. Okay? We've talked about the Joseph Smith family. Remember, everybody in that group of the 11 were related somehow. Okay? We talked about their, the Joseph Smith family having an extremely wild magic worldview. All of the Whitmer witnesses believed in seer stones, dousing sticks, and tools to see and discern the spiritual world. Hiram Page, the only one of the eight witnesses without the surname Smith or Whitmer, Whitmer was a visionary. BYU professor Dean Jesse in his Papers of Joseph Smith acknowledges that Page also used a seer stone for hunting buried treasure. So here are the eight witnesses. All are mystics. All are related. Their collective testimony, again without a date, author, or location, but in all probably penned by Joseph Smith, states that Joseph showed them the plates. That they did handle them with their hands and saw the engravings thereon, and they had seen and hefted them. Seems pretty straightforward that these guys actually had the plates. But Grant Palmer notes in Insider's View of Mormon Origins that, listen carefully, and we're almost done, on 25th March, 1838, Martin Harris testified publicly that none of the signatories to the Book of Mormon saw or handled the physical records. His statement, made at the height of Ohio's banking-related apostasy, became the final straw in what caused Apostles Luke S. Johnson, Lyman E. Johnson, John F. Boynton, and High Priest Stephen Burnett and 70 Warren Parish to exit the church. Stephen Burnett, in a letter dated 15 April 1838, three weeks after this meeting, wrote to Lyman Johnson, quote, I have reflected long and deliberately upon the history of this church and weighed the evidence for and against it, loath to give it up. But when I came to hear Martin Harris state in public that he never saw the plates with his natural eyes, only in vision or imagination, neither Oliver nor David and also the eight witnesses never saw them, and hesitated to sign that instrument for that reason, but were persuaded to do it, the last pedestal gave way. In my view, our foundation was sapped and the entire superstructure fell in heaps. William Parrish also heard Martin Harris say that he had not or neither had any of the 11 men actually examined the physical records. He stated, Martin Harris, one of the subscribing witnesses has come out at last and says he never saw the plates from which the book purports to have been translated except in vision, and he further states that any man who says he has seen them in any other way is a liar, Joseph Smith not accepted. Only three of the eight witnesses ever said they touched or handled the plates, Hiram Smith, Samuel Smith, and Hiram Page. 
but Hiram Page added in his testimony, I handled the plates. They were fine engravings on both sides. They were shown to me by a supernatural power. A power, as Gordon B. Hinckley continues to promote, a power beyond our natural senses. As with almost everything else in historic Mormonism, the three and eight witnesses to the golden plates provide a flat-out questionable accounting where most of them in the end admitted that they saw the plates with, as Gordon B. Hinckley would promote, a power beyond their natural senses. I find there to be great irony in the fact that the LDS Church has used the three witnesses and the eight witness testimony as men who could testify to the material truth of the Book of Mormon. And yet, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley says that it's not by material truth that you discover that it's true at all. You find that out in another way. So we end our seven weeks of discussing the Book of Mormon. The witnesses have written their testimony and signed it. We find out further information there. Before we began the discussion on the book, I asked you to ask yourself one thing. Did this book come from ancient golden records buried in a hill near Joseph Smith's home? If the evidence we have covered over the past seven weeks, uh, if you can say to that, yes, it all came from those golden plates, have at it, continue on believing it, do what you want with it. But if you have a question, I challenge you not to believe me, but to go search it out for yourself and see. It's the difference between a relationship to Christ and a relationship to a religion. I promise you that. Okay, so uh, let's go to the phones. We have Stephanie from Murray, Utah on line one. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, John. I bless you, brother, for doing this show today. Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I've been um, I've been trying to look for some churches around in here, and I can't find any. So what I'm doing is watching this one lady named Melissa Scott. Her friend, her, her, she's a pastor, and I've been watching her every every night at eleven or twelve at nighttime, and she is so good with the Bible. She goes really deep. Within the Bible, she is this is this uh, Jean Scott's wife? Yes. <laughs> I've never watched her. Oh, I love her. I yeah? love her show. I mean, oh. yeah, I love her so much. It's just like, oh, it's so refreshing to hear somebody who knows and who got the idea. I mean, last last night they were talking about the rings of the um, of the trees, you know, uh-huh. and they were saying that the rings of the trees kind of like the same thing with Adam and Eve and everybody else that had longer lifespans than we do today. Wow. Well, she's interesting. I, do, I can't comment on her, but I know that her husband was very, very interesting, but he certainly knew his languages in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin. And uh, yeah. I enjoyed watching him every now and then, too. Yeah. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Yeah, I just wanted to let people know that that's the... Um, that's that's what I'm thinking about. You know, okay. if we can't find the churches, just go with this show. All righty. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. We're going, Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. Um, well, first off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit all this out as quickly as possible. I really am. I've called you once before. Um, working on getting out of the... Um, the church. I'm glad you mentioned that earlier in the, so, uh, the program about the uh, lady that, how do you get your names off the, out of the computer system and what. Yeah. Um, uh, the book <laughs> got wet. <laughs> the Book of Mormon, we had a flood. Um, uh, I mean, not the Book of Mormon, the um, Born Again Christian. 
you know, born again Mormon. Your book got wet that I sent you. Yeah, the, yeah, but, but uh, it, it's okay. I mean, I can still read it. It's legible. But what I wanted to the reason I'm calling is because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to knock something out to you. Uh, hey, you got to get to it, man. Okay, here we go, bro. All right. Um, you know how they always um, give, they always <laughs> um, when I first became because I wasn't a cradle um, LDS, and when they say uh, it's in, I think it's Morona yeah Tim for uh, have you ever read a book called uh, Mormon Claims Answered? If you haven't, I'm going to send this to you. Well, send it to me. I haven't read it. Okay. It's cool. And you enjoy it. But, it, you know, it gives you the challenge of what the elders or the missionaries always give. Read it and, you know, pray. I'm, yeah. I'm throwing it, you know, just uh, summarizing it. Right. And then pray about it and, and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, with a sincere, sincere heart and real intent. And and then this uh, book, when we, it says, um, and then it says, uh, he will manifest the truth of, unto you by the power of the Holy oh, Ghost. Yeah. Thus, and then it says, thus many ODS testified that he had a burning bosom. You've heard that, of course, before, as I did. David. That's why I was a... Uh, David, you've got to get to it, man. What is it? Okay, so such as that mentioned in the... So the psychology behind it is that um, if you... They, they leave you at a point where if you don't have... They make you feel like if you don't believe in it, you don't have an intent or a sincere heart. Right. That's the whole caveat. If you don't get the manifestation, then you truly didn't ask with the real intent. And and and, and then what about the Quran? So I asked one of the when I was you know asked when I was trying to get out. I asked my bishop. I said, Well, can we uh, talk about? I'm, I, and I'm don't follow the Quran, but I just threw that out there, you know, I, I said, well, what about the Quran? He says, well, I've found the right faith. I don't need to read anything else. And I said, well, what's the difference? Yeah, there is none. David, great point. Hey, listen, is that a Scottish accent I sent? I, I discerned? Yes, yes, yes. Beautiful. I, wish. I love the Scots. Hey, hey, hey uh, Sean, please, please, please. Give me 10 seconds. I can't, man. You've got to. What? Okay, go ahead. 10 no, seconds. Is, you're gonna, they're going to listen to this. Okay, 10 seconds. Always. Your callers are going to listen to this. Okay, go. I mean, Okay, here we go, bud. Um, so, uh, okay, so it says, um, you know. Well, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. We'll just say that the, the David, Trinity. I'm gonna. Uh, how about we can't go to the Trinity, man? I gotta go on. No, no, Call no. again and have the question ready. We love you. Thanks so much. Bye, bye. Okay, I'm sorry. I hate to do that to people, but David just couldn't formulate exactly what he wanted to give us. We have other calls, but I want to say I, I neglected to mention Lifeline Community Church. It's an evangelical free church, Bible teaching. Services are 9.30 and 11. Brian Hurlbut is the pastor, and it's in West Jordan at 4037 West Nike Drive, Unit H. And uh, again, that's 4037 West Nike Drive, Unit H, West Jordan, Utah. So uh, our church scouts highly recommend that. They say they teach the Bible verse by verse. And there we go. Okay, we're going to Jill on line three in Salt Lake, I believe. Jill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, yes. Hi, Jill. Um, I actually called in a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm from California. I've seen your show a couple times, and I happen to be LDS. Oh, I remember your call, Jill. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Have you grown to love me yet? Um, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a question for you. Is, yes. Do you believe in miracles that the Savior performed when he lived on the earth? Absolutely. But can you prove that he performed those miracles? Prove? No. Then how is it that 
you can put the Book of Mormon down because you're not finding proof in that. But yet you'll believe in the Savior, which I totally do. Okay. Believe in his miracles, but okay. you can't prefer, you can't, you know, um, prove that those miracles were performed. It's kind of like the people that lived in Christ's time. Yeah. Those that saw yeah. believed, and then there were some that saw that still didn't believe. Right. Okay, can I answer? Sure. Okay. The, I'm not making a comparison between the miraculousness of the Book of Mormon and the miraculousness of Jesus' miracles. What I am doing is saying we have a Bible that God gave us, and it's based in reality. And there's evidences for it, and Hebrews 11 tells us that evidence for uh, things not seen, okay? Now, the Book of Mormon, what you're doing is you're, you're comparing, sorry for the cliche, but apples to oranges. You're trying to say that the Book of Mormon should be accepted like the miracles of Jesus. But there is no comparison between the two. The Book of Mormon should be compared to the Bible. We should, and if, and I can't, if, a history, the Bible is a history of the House of Israel, just like you said, absolutely. But it's verifiable. It, it's a history of the House of Israel. But it's verifiable. Okay, but the history of the, the Lamanites, why yeah, the history of Lamanites, you, you, you were saying earlier that, you know, a book drops from Pluto or whatever. Well, the Book of Mormon didn't come from outer space. Well, I, I don't know where it came from, but there's nothing verifiable to it. That's the point. Is Okay, but what I'm saying is that you're, but you won't believe in the Book of Mormon. I don't know why you left the Mormon Church. I, I haven't. Sin. Felt, pardon me? Sin. Sin? Yeah. So there, we got rid of that one. Now, what else do you want to say? Well, I'm just saying that obviously there's a bad taste in your mouth for it. No, I love the Mormon people, Jill. In fact, if I was in your ward right now and you didn't know I did the show and I was just visiting and talking to you, you'd like me. The, the difference is I don't have a grind against the people. I like the I people. Don't, I don't dislike you. I want you to know that. I'm not that kind of a person. I, I, feel, I actually feel really bad and sad for you. Don't feel bad. There's such a bad taste in your mouth that you would leave the church and then decide to talk against the church rather than just leaving the church and then alone oh but see here's the thing Jill, and it's, this is really important because we get a lot of emails on this i have i came from mormonism 40 years i was active in it i have a lot of family and friends in mormonism the church is very big and they continue to uh, to perpetuate the same things i don't have a bad taste in my mouth against the people i have a very bad taste in my mouth about the doctrine there's the difference I'm not a disaffected Mormon that's right. embittered because of the people. The doctrine is not biblical. Well, and it's your, all, your opinion. In your it's opinion. not my opinion. But, Jill, here's the thing. Let's say that uh, that is my opinion. Give me something, something from the Pearl of Great Price, Book of Abraham, from the Book of Mormon that didn't come out of thin air. Something. Well, just how can you say that about the Bible? Wait, are you kidding? You can go to Jerusalem. You can walk through the streets. You, you can, can walk through South and Central America, too. Oh, my. Oh, this is good, Jill. I am so glad you called. So what you're saying is is that it took place. I mean, you can just walk through Central America, and that proves the Book of Mormon? No, but you just said that about... You just said that about what about the genetics? What about the, the uh, linguistics, the language of the Hebrews? Right. What about the, uh, the, linguist, the genetics of, of the people? Well, explain to me how you think someone that was as uneducated as Joseph Smith could write scripture. Okay. Uh, have you watched, you haven't seen our past seven shows. If you want to know the Book of Mormon contents, all you got to do is watch. You can download them and see. No. And they are all my evidences as to why he wrote the book. By the way, we don't know he wrote it alone. There was a seven-year period between the time he said, I found these plates, or the plates are available to me, to when he produced the manuscript. Seven years. His father was a teacher. Uh, Sidney Rigdon was educated. 
Oliver Cowdery came from a, a teaching family. These oh. guys, the, and it came, it's all a modern day application. It's just a big counterfeit. Well, I, I disagree with I know you do. But I, but Jill, I, I appreciate your call. Okay. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Jill's coming along, and she doesn't even know it. You know that? Jill, now that you've hung up, you can't argue with me. I want you to know, Jill, just take this challenge. Every Latter-day Saint watching the show tonight, please, I pray to you, go to God and say, I hate that guy on the television, Father. He is an idiot. But I want to know the truth. Are you behind this church? Is G do I understand Jesus the right way? Jesus, will you come into my heart and show me truth? I am a sinner. Whatever it's going to take, take it to the Lord in honesty and sincerity and ask him. Don't trust me, anything else. Just listen, open your heart and try it. Jill, go to the Lord tonight. Ask the Lord, ask the Father about it, okay? And then call us back. All right, Laura from Provo on line one. Laura, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, Sean, I'm glad to, to talk to you. Um, I'm about ready to leave the LDS Church. I was a missionary at one time, oh. and so I believe everything you say. But there's one thing I want to ask about evidences for the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing a picture one time of a stone they found in South America that was supposed to be the Dream of Lehi. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? You know, I've seen that. Uh, I've, saw, I've seen those in, like, Elder's Quorum. Uh -huh. I don't believe that uh, one thing I do know, I can't comment on that stone, but I do know there has not been one single archaeological find. I'm sure you could find uh, something in the artwork anywhere of trees. Uh -huh. uh, and so they take it and they apply it. But I know the Smithsonian, and I know that anybody at farms who is being honest with you, if you take them aside and please tell me, has there any evidence, and they can't link it. They could probably tie that to the Aztecs or the Mayans or uh -huh. one of those civilizations, but it certainly did not come from the Book of Mormon. Okay, even though I say it's the, the, the dream's the same. I don't think it is. I don't think the dream's the same. I don't think the tree's the same. And if it is, I challenge a Latter-day Saint, if it is, I would stand here and I'll say I was wrong. This is the tree of life. But the only other exception could be, and I'm not saying it is, but I would have to see if the tree of life, stone, and information about it was available to Joseph Smith uh, in his library at the time. That would be a Dan Vogel issue, and I'll ask him. Okay. Hey, what are you going to do now that you say you're going to leave the church? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. That's another question. Uh, are you, will you be a sinner if you stay in the church, or do you have to be baptized in another one, uh, or what? Well, let me ask you, what are your reasons for leaving, Laura? Well, because I don't believe in it anymore. Okay, do you have a relationship with, with God? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Okay, have you, have you visited another, you're in Orem or Provo? Uh -huh, yes, I visit other churches, and I like to go hear the sermons. Do you? I, do. I learn a lot, yes. I learn more than I do in the LDS church. Well, go, tr try, just do me a favor, try uh, Christ Evangelical or Provo Baptist, uh -huh. either one of those, and just go to the pastor and just tell him your story, and, and let the pastor talk to you. Okay, so, but like I said, you have to, I think you touched on this tonight, but I was cooking so I didn't hear about being baptized. Well, will my baptized count? Because baptizing, when you're baptized, you confess that you need a Redeemer. Yeah. And so I, if I've done that, do I have to do it again? Well, let me tell you this. Tonight, if you, if you uh, passed away being a believer in Christ, uh -huh. and uh, I don't think it's going to matter one bit. Okay. Okay? So don't worry about that. I would put that on the far back burner. Have, you know, just don't worry about all that stuff. Just worry about, you know, uh, where do you, are you going to be fulfilled in Christ? And just try those two places and talk to the pastors. Please, Laura. 
Okay, but now I want to ask you another question. Yes. Are those LDS people who are good people, yeah. are they going to go to hell if they don't if they don't leave the church? Okay, I I never ever uh, assign hell uh, to anybody. I don't know, and I don't believe for a moment that all LDS are going to hell because they bought into some things Joseph Smith said. It's all your individual relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people who are professed Christians who are probably going to hell. There are Mormons who are professed Mormons who are going to hell. I don't know. But I just know that if you don't have the relationship, Jesus said you must be born again. Okay, that's an imperative. You must. Yes. And you must accept him by faith. Huh? Then I think, you know, God's going to sort out all the minutia in the end. Okay, so, I mean, if I believe that and have a relationship with Jesus and God, can I stay in the church and still be okay? Uh, well, let me answer it this way. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should rush out of the church right now because you're not really sure where you're going. But I can say this, after you really have learned the Bible, huh? there's no way you can sit in those pews for very long. Well, I mean, I understand that. Yes, I understand yeah. that because I don't learn that much. I really don't learn that much there. Yeah. But um, it's just that, it's, you know, I don't have a problem leaving. It's just like I wondered if you stay in there, what's going to happen if you stay in, if you have a relationship with God anyway. Well, uh, you, the best advice I can give after we've, all these things have been said and done is you go to God and say, Father, I need you to guide me. I'm open. Whatever you say, I'll do. And you keep repeating that and see where he takes you. Okay. All right, Laura. All right, thanks. Bye. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Tim, first-time caller on line four. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. You sure know how to have a good time. <laughs> well, you should see us when the cameras aren't on. What? What's going on? I saw you in the park, uh, Liberty Park, about six months ago, and I gave you a book called The Urantia Book. I oh. want to know if you have uh, taken a look at it and what you think of it. Well, you're a, you're a kind man. You, you gave me a book that cost you something, I'm sure. I know you, you believe in the Urantia. I, I find it to be uh, like the book I was talking about, something completely metaphysical, I believe, that came out of the air. Um, I did look uh, through much of it. I can't tell you I read the thing. It's about that thick. Took me two years to read it. Yeah, but I just, you know, I'm I'm sorry about that. I really believe uh, in the Word of God, and uh, I trust it so much, and it it fills me so much that the secondary sources, uh, they, I just don't spend too much time in them. Okay. Hey, you're gonna come to Heart in the Park 2007? Uh, if I can. Well, I hope to see you again. Could I suggest one thing? Yes, sir. If you uh, read some of the parts at the end of the book. Where uh, it's all about Jesus and not that other goofy stuff. Okay. You might find something interesting in there. I'll do it. And uh, it, I enjoy your show. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. We're going to Alvaro from Riverton on line two. Alvaro, you're on Heart of the Matter. You got to turn your TV off, Alvar Alvaro. Um, I would like to know why you switched to Mormonism. I mean, to you left the Mormon Church. Are you LDS, Alvaro? Yes. Well, uh, I, I, this is probably good to go over because we have a lot of new viewers. I'm sorry for the redundancy. Some of you get irritated that I have to repeat this, but let me just tell you this. I was very active in the church. I believed the church was true, uh, but I could never reconcile my sinful heart with God. I was always trying to make myself worthy, and I never had a relationship where I felt at peace with God through Jesus. Jesus was never really the focal point of my life. And so, uh, long story short, I came to the side of a road one day after 17 years of searching, and I prayed the sinner's prayer, and by the end of the day, the Lord had changed my heart so radically that I knew I was forgiven of my sins, 
and was born again, and then it took four years after that to kind of come out of Mormonism because I didn't know any other way. Let me make one more statement, and then I'll let you talk. This is not to say that every LDS or every person is going to have this miraculous kind of event. I think there's a corollary. The more sinful you are in your heart, the more miraculous the event. I think the more kind of a good nature that you have, your, your event is not as miraculous. It seems to be something like that. But don't expect all kinds of things like that. I'm just telling you my story. Okay, any comment on that? Um, yes. What made you, I don't get it, you said you had a feeling like that God tried to help you, right? But um, why Christian? Why did you become Christian? Why not Catholic? Well, uh, I, was, I was born again, and I, I had an instant relationship with God, and I realized at that point that I really didn't need a religion at all any longer. I needed it to go in fellowship with people, but I didn't need a religion to get me to God. I needed a religion to learn the Bible and things, but for no other reason. So because Jesus changed me, I became a Christian that was not a religionist, but a relationshipist, if there's such a word. Does that help? Hey, how old are you? I'm 15. And let me ask you something. Do you know, Alva, is it Al, what's your name again, Al? Alvaro. Alvaro, do you know that if you stepped out of your house today and a truck went crazy and hit you and killed you, do you know that you will be with God again? Yes. How, and, and, and you're going to go straight to God for that? Yeah. How do you know that? I don't know. I guess I just feel it that way. You, you feel it? Do you, do you realize what gets you there? What is it that gets you to God when you get hit by that truck? I'm not sure. I just really have a feeling that I will. Okay. I want you to know that what gets you there, regardless of your feelings or your, your nice thoughts that you're, you're going to go there, is not the good choices you've made or the fact that, you hold the, that you're a teacher in the church or you hold the Aaronic priesthood or that you try to do right. What gets you there is the fact that you realize that Jesus saved you from sin and that you... If you have faith and believe in him, you will go directly to God at death, okay? Okay. I want you to know the church you belong to does not teach that, okay? So just remember that, and you listen, and you keep following, and you search, and you'll discover this for yourself. Okay, thank All you. All right, my friend. God bless you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. We're going to Don on line three from Salt Lake City. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, it's me again. Remember, I'm the guy that you wanted to hit the side of the head a couple of weeks ago? Uh, there's been several, Don. Hey, uh, you're a big guy. I don't want you hitting me in the head. I think you might kill me. <laughs> What's happening? Hey, I love your program, and I think you're just great. But let me ask you just one quick question. Oh, I know who you are, Don. I told you know that uh, I you know I don't go to church anymore, but I you know I still have such a strong feeling that it's true. But let me ask you one question. Yeah. Why, why would Joseph Smith have gone through all the trials and the tribulations and the persecution if it wasn't true? He was tarred and feathered. He was beaten up, and he eventually lost his life. And even his family members, the persecution they went through. Why would they have gone through this? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Why would Karl Marx go through what he went through to propose communism? Why, did, why would Ginny von Westphalen suffer with him as his spouse and live in abject poverty for their entire life to, to put forth communism that never took off while he was alive? Well, that's true, why, too. Why, Don? It's hard to answer. I don't really know for yeah. sure. Well, you see what it is, I believe, a couple things. When it comes to Joseph Smith, I think that he had some sincerity in him to begin with. 
And I think that he truly did want to do something with regard to religion. I think that he tried his hand at, 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 at finding treasure and, and getting people that way, and it didn't work. But when, when he mentioned something about religion and they were swarming, he started to realize what kind of charismatic power he had in himself. And I think that it just grew from there. And, you know, once after the Book of Mormon came out, which, you know, is a very Christian-type biblical book, I believe it's a counterfeit, but after that came out, he started saying, I've got him believe in this, I can get him believe anything. And as he accelerates in his ministry, so to speak, he just goes ballistic. It goes absolutely stark staring mad to the point where he's marrying all kinds of wives secretly. He's got the, he's got the Masonic temples being built. He's got people doing all kinds of stuff. He's riding a horse in a white suit with a sword running for president. He was an egomaniac in the end, which is what happens to every man who is allowed to see some success and it comes from the flesh. There's my answer, Don. You know, Sean, even if it isn't true, uh, it's such a wonderful church, a family-oriented church that they do so many good things. You know, they're, you know, you, I, you I talk to them, and they're also kind and good, and and the things that they do to promote to, uh, you know, the good good throughout. Well, the I have never been accosted by a Hare Krishna either. They are very nice too. I mean, I go to the airport. Oh my! I've been to several churches. You know, I have neighbor. I've been to the Catholic Church, and I've been to the Assembly of God, and they're wonderful people sure. too. And, and I you think know what? all the churches are wonderful. Okay, but Don, here's the problem. If you have that approach, which is a very universalist approach, which is very Mormon, really, when you boil it down, the problem is this. Why did Jesus come? I mean, if, if, if it's okay for everybody to be so wonderful and good and anything goes, well, crud, Jesus, why did you come? I mean, he's okay. We like the cross bit, Jesus, but heck, I can get there by believing in, um, I mean, wh where are you going with that? Oh, Sean, I think someday we'll probably all know what's oh, right. Oh, we will. And, and that's where the Bible comes in, Don, you see, because the Bible is really, uh, is not politically correct. The Bible says things like, straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few be there that find it. The Bible talks a place called hell where there's burning. No one likes to hear that, but it talks about it. And so somehow we have to take all this stuff and put it into what Jesus did and then come up with an idea. Do we believe this or not? Don, I love your nice attitude. Oh, Sean, I think you're great. and You're so well read. But I'll tell you another person who I really like to listen to, and that's the Pastor John Hagee. Oh, yeah, Pastor Andy. John Hagee. I've written several letters to him, and I've got several nice letters back. Good. Well, we'll have to go have lunch, and I'll let you read these letters. Let's do and it, Don. He's a fascinating person. He's like, he's very well, I'm not that well read. I just don't like to read the Bible in the Book of Mormon. You know, I, I've tried to read the Book of Mormon. I never have read it all the way through. Well, you're a very... It like a, I would read it and I would lose interest in it or I would forget it. You have a really nice voice. You should be a broadcasting, announcing the jazz game right now. Hey, well, I haven't got TNT, so I can't see the jazz game, so I'm watching you, and that's the next best thing. All right, I'll take that as a compliment. You <laughs> hey, take Sean, care, Don. good to talk to you, buddy. You too, man. Hey, and you have a good evening. Same to you. Okay, pal. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to David, first-time caller from Midvale. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. David? David? Yes. You have to turn off your TV, man. Okay, it's off. We have three minutes left. You have two of them. Fire away. Well, I don't think that most of the members of the church realize that uh, when I was in California, I saw President Hinckley with my own eyes and turning with my own ears on satellite TV, that he said we don't have a paid ministry anymore, or a non-paid ministry in the Mormon church. That right. He basically that people have six-figure incomes um, from the 12 apostles right on down through the 70s, and anyone that doubts that, all they have to do is call the church financial building and just ask, and they will tell you the truth, that there is a paid ministry now in the church. 
The CES is all paid ministry too. You know, the church uh, educational system, every one of them. About, this has all come about under President Hinckley. And also, um, I just spent over a month uh, in a third world country. And um, I saw uh, what a billion dollar mall in downtown Salt Lake could do to bring fresh water and doctors and medication to little children wow. that one in three die of, um, of bad water and diarrhea. And I'm just really concerned when I see the money and I follow the money. You know, there's a saying that by their fruits she shall know them. Right. And uh, I worked in the temple there in Los Angeles for several years, and, uh, and we couldn't get enough people to come to the temple that the uh, temple workers actually were called upon to put their clothes on to be in a prayer circle. There weren't enough people to make a circle. Well, you know what? You, you bring up some really good uh, points, and it's not only the LDS with the, the money and the expenditures. You know, it's all—it's many churches uh, throughout this world now have gone the way of the world when it comes to that, and uh, hopefully that will change and the tide will uh, shift and and uh, religion will go back to helping people instead of building up themselves. I think that's true, and I think that anyone that makes money off of Jesus, um, I, I don't think the Savior would approve of that. I think that when we look at his life, his simplicity and the way he treated people. Um, anyone that makes money off of Jesus, um, I have some doubts. All right, man. Great call. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Keep going. Doing a good job. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going, uh, Kenny, first-time caller. Uh, we're going to try it. Kenny, you're a first-time caller. I'm sorry, but you've only got about 45 seconds. 45 seconds, Sean. I appreciate it. First of all, I love this show. I think it's the best thing that's happened to this valley in a long, long time. Secondly, what I wanted to talk to you about was the pattern of the double bind. Have you heard of it? Pattern of the what? Double bind. No. Basically what it is, they used to use this in communism. The, the emphasis is always taken off of the organization and put on the individual. individual yeah. The organization is correct, the individual is wrong. I encourage everybody to Google it. Uh, double bind Mormonism will come up. Okay, say that word really slowly and clearly. It's the pattern of the double bind. Oh, the double bind. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate that. Call back another time when we have more time for you. Definitely, I will. Okay, thank you so much. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, we uh, are going to continue on with church history. Next week, we're going to talk about something that will probably be the restoration of the priesthood, the priesthood that the LDS used and how that fit it, fits in with the Bible and their history. We're going to then go on to the Pearl of Great Price, Hold on to your hats. Pearl of Great Price, Book of Abraham. Woo! And then we're going to come to the grand, the thing I've been waiting for, polygamy. It is going to be so fun. And uh, so uh, Squatter's Pub tonight, uh, 9.30 if you're in town, uh, on 3rd South. And you can watch Heart of the Matter on Tuesday, afternoon, Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. if you have the time. Infallible Word is also on Monday and Fridays. God bless.